This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your curator, Peter Korchnak. The country of Yugoslavia may no longer appear on any physical maps, but it remains on many people's mental maps. For a place that doesn't exist anymore, its material and cultural production inspires a surprising, or perhaps not so surprising, number of people to make art and products. And a lot of them have little or even no lived experience in it or memory of it. Over the course of the next three episodes, I'm going to take a closer look at some of these projects. I'll do more in the future, as the list is still growing. The Inspired by Yugoslavia series will be an ongoing segment here. I'll speak with filmmakers and fine artists, business people and game developers, graphic designers, and yes, academics too. Taken together, all these projects inspired by Yugoslavia point to something you've heard on this show, but bears repeating. Though Yugoslavia may be dead forever as a political entity, it lives on as a cultural project. But first, I must acknowledge a few kind people who have helped close out the old and kick off the new year in the most inspiring way. Thank you Barry, Darko, Haris, Sara, and most of all Serjan for your generous donations. Your support makes all the difference. Remembering Yugoslavia is a labor of love that takes countless hours and dollars to keep going. There is no staff, no interns, not even a virtual assistant. Like most projects you'll hear about in the Inspired by Yugoslavia series, it's a one-person show. So if you come away inspired, let that inspiration carry on and inspire your generosity. Go to rememberingyugoslavia.com slash donate and help shape the future of this podcast. I was born in 1994. It was uh, almost the end of uh, the war here in Yugoslavia. Acting came from nowhere in one moment of my life. I was uh, studying film directing when I started acting. And I started doing it uh, mostly because of money, honestly. Um, and then it uh, just continued building itself as a career. So now it's I have a d- double identity. Kaya Shishmanovic is a director and actor. She comes from a family of filmmakers. Her father is a screenwriter, her mother a documentary film director. Shishmanovic spoke to me from Zagreb. I was born in 1984 in Zagreb. So... I was uh, seven or first grade primary school when the war started or when Yugoslavia collapsed in 1991. I'm also two things. One is uh, being a painter and another one is um, being a screenwriter. Matija Haidarhodžić also comes from a film family, a line of actors, including his father Igor and grandparents Izet and Ksenija. He spoke to me from Belgrade. Haidar Hodžić and Šišmanović create films for their YouTube channel, Future Yugoslavia. Hi, you're watching Future Yugoslavia. We are from a parallel time that is slightly poorer and more complicated, but we also have YouTube. First and foremost, it's a platform for documentary series. It's a format that we haven't seen much. So documentary uh, works, serial documentary works, but uh, with episodes that that continue one after another. So you have to watch them in a specific order to be able to grasp the whole story. That was our primary uh, idea to form a space where we can produce and distribute and um, show those works that we do. We named it Future Yugoslavia at first because we 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 were actually very tired 
I mean, at least I don't like the atmosphere in Croatia uh, surrounding the Yugoslavia story because it's, um, I don't know, it's always uh, considered to be something that was in the past and that's long gone and that can never, never again happen. Some people think think of it in a bad way. Some people think of it in a good way. But everyone, everyone thinks of it as something ancient. Something yeah, belonging just to to history, to past. Yes. Ex Yugoslavia. It's always ex Yugoslavia. Ex Yugoslavia. This ex Yugoslavia. That. But uh, the the reality is much much more different because in reality um, all the Yugoslav republics are still very closely connected, you know, economically and culturally. That's maybe the most important thing. Culturally, economically, and uh, I don't know, uh, f- you know, families are um, are always uh, between uh, between um, republics and stuff like that. People go to work to uh, other republics. And it's still existing, it still functions. It's just that uh, it's not talked about, you know. To me, it seems like people talk about Yugoslavia all the time. When they say region, they also mean Yugoslavia. They always talk about XX and what about what about the future of it? Because for me, it's like um, when war started and all these um, uh, state borders became like uh, internationally recognized like uh, country borders. To, to me, it, it, since always, it seemed like uh, nothing uh, really changed. It's just like uh, uh, army juntas are now securing the borders. And then it's like uh, pretending to, to, to have borders there. You know, there's no, no, nothing, nothing happens when you cross from Croatia to Bosnia or from Macedonia or to Serbia. Nothing really changes. But there are some armed guys uh, checking your, your documents. You know? So I was born in Yugoslavia and bo- both of my parents are Yugoslavians and <laughs> it's not over. We are still here and uh, I'm so hurt that people shit on Yugoslavia and still use its water pipes. <laughs> when we say future Yugoslavia, I don't really mean the future that that is going to happen. Well, that also, but for me, since... Everything since 91 is future Yugoslavia. It's like all this is happening from from the perspective of Yugoslavia. It's happening in the future. So this is the future of Yugoslavia. And uh, we are in Yugoslavia. So this is basically future Yugoslavia. There are 14 documentary series planned for future Yugoslavia, each consisting of a number of episodes that follow a narrative. 14 narratives connected only with the thread of being in the former Yugoslavia's future. For us, there is something in this in this whole concept which is closely related to its name. Two series are already out. The first series is called Running with the Refugees, a documentary travelogue made at the outbreak of the immigration crisis in 2015. And then it became very fast um, a, a story about Syrian refugees in Yugoslavia because... Why in Yugoslavia? Because why not in Bosnia, Serbia, Macedonia and Montenegro where we went? It's because wherever we went, always the first um, conversation was about Yugoslavia. So 
a bit by bit uh, in these 14 different shows will make it clearer you know that one of the shows will be a podcast which will be called uh, Yugoslavia Live uh, it will be basically a podcast uh, always featuring uh, six people from six different states uh, Yugoslavian states um, discussing subjects that don't have to be related with politics uh, but still it will somehow be related with politics because they will, we will always be featuring those six states so that that, that will be um, clear, clearly political the second series medica diaries follows a group of squatters in an abandoned pharmaceutical drug factory building most people will know Shishmanovic from the role of una milicevic in the croatian television show crnobieli svet black and white world a Kaya question, and you knew this one was coming. Uh, you had a prominent role in uh, the now concluded series, uh, Croatian series, Crnobili uh, Svet, which was basically all about the 80s or took place in the 1980s. Uh, very much uh, playing off of uh, 80s nostalgia that's still going on. Less Yugoslavia, I have to say. It was it was uh, nicely done in that in that sense, uh, without being disparaging. It was mostly focused on the time. And, of course, there were references to what's happening in the world and, and real-life events. But anyway, so you had a prominent role in that. Uh, and so having been born after Yugoslavia Dissolved, uh, you basically lived for the period of the filming as well as, of course, uh, this being broadcast, you lived in a fictional uh, Yugoslavia, so to speak, or recreated, uh, so to speak. So what was that experience like? And what were some of the things that you learned about that disappeared country or maybe about yourself or even the country that you are from now, Croatia? Actually, to be honest, I uh, I never felt while I was filming that, I never felt like uh, I am in something unknown to me. As I was growing up, um, I was listening to stories, you know, from my parents and their friends whose uh, youth was that time that, that's described in the series. I listened to the bands from Yugoslavia because the, the, the new wave of the 80s, uh, it was the best music we have here still. <laughs> So, um, and uh, I don't know, my uh, f- uh, family, especially my mother's side of the family, my grandpa is a very, um, how to say, very a- anti-fascistic, you know, when he uh, mourns the uh, Yugos- uh, Yugoslavia politics and politicians and everything. So I had all the bits, you know, and the culture and the politics and the way of life, you know, the food, that, that connections, that uh, family um, traditions that that were held in Yugoslavia. Somehow I, I experienced that in my childhood. I don't know, I just grew up surrounded with people that did not change their way of life. So I felt uh, it always very, very close to me. You know, I, I, although I was born after it all ended, I felt like I, I feel maybe, I don't know, maybe I am also a bit of an old soul. I don't know, but I feel like I, I feel more from that time than from this time. I'm from a mixed marriage. So yeah, I never had this, uh, separationist experience but uh what did i learn i so yeah i don't think i learned anything new on the (laughs) on the set 
I even I even wore uh, clothes from Yugoslavia, you know, before I <laughs> before I came to the series. So. Well, you may have learned how to uh, be a TV star in your country after that. Ah, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> yes.
There was Aaron Tinjum and the Tangents with the track titled Yugoslavia. When I asked Aaron via email about it, this is what he wrote back. In 2010, I spent my summer at the University of Oslo as part of a human rights graduate program. Many of the other students were from war-torn regions of the world, mostly from Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, Kosovo and North Macedonia as part of the Nansen Dialogue Network. Students from the Balkans seem to be much more socially warm and welcoming than the Norwegians, so I spent the summer hanging out with a group of students from across former Yugoslavia as the lone outsider, American. There were many interesting conversations and tense debates, filled with coffee, beers and cigarette smoke, that taught me much about the region's shared culture and history, as well as the differing perspectives on the end of Yugoslavia and conflicts since that time. The following summer, I backpacked through Serbia, Kosovo and North Macedonia, visiting many of these friends. The song Yugoslavia was inspired by that visit. Finally experiencing the region I had heard so much about, arriving into Belgrade in the middle of the night, walking around Kalamegdan alone, etc. A friend had told me that Balkan is a combination of the Turkish words for honey and blood. So that was the paradoxical feeling I was attempting to evoke in the song. A simultaneous feeling of pain, reflection with a subtle touch of hope and pride. It was a memorable trip, but actually concluded with a bad case of food poisoning, perhaps one too many dolmas, and multiple bus rides, which also added a very personal layer of meaning to the failed and fractured state line of the song. Check out Aaron's music at aarontingem.com and buy it on Bandcamp. All the links are on the episode page at rememberingyourslavia.com slash podcast. Well, the Yugoslav Women Plus Collective is a is a collective of six female scholars that come from uh, spaces of former Yugoslavia. And we work and live in universities in the global north, from New Zealand to UK to Belgium and Austria. You may remember Vyosa Musliu from episode 60, performing you and EU in Kosovo. Aside from working as an assistant professor at the Freie Universität in Brussels, focusing on international conflict and EU-Balkans relations, Musliu represents her homeland, Kosovo, in the Yugoslav Women Plus Collective. What brought us together in the first place was um, having shared many of the common frustrations that we experience in our work, in our daily work in the universities in the global north, in the way how we uh, are both perceived as researchers, how are we perceived as women researchers, and also as women researchers coming from the Balkans or from loosely defined Eastern Europe, because we also observe how these imagined borders of where Eastern Europe begins and where Mm -hmm. it ends and, you know, what was the place of the former Yugoslavia in Eastern Europe is also very much blurred in this part of the world where I live. The second element that became very obvious from day one was also our continuous love and dedication, connection that we still have with the Balkans at large with the region as a whole. The third element maybe could be um, the idea of uh, working together as a, as a collective became even more pronounced after we first wrote an opinion piece for the Yugoslavian Initiative for the Disorder of Things two years ago to work more structurally and more regularly together as a collective, also as a sign of resistance as a sign of um, epistemic disobedience towards the tendency in the universities in the global north, 
that are much more geared towards individual output, competitiveness, benchmarking, high impact factor publishing, and generally a working culture that celebrates and commemorates individual success and hard work and fierce competition. So what we're trying to do is try and engage uh, quite a bit in ethics of care, empathy, support, and also to work along the lines of slow science, not necessarily with a particular product or an output in mind. We could have an entire episode about the challenges of working in the global north as a as a woman, as a woman researcher, as a woman researcher from the Balkans or from the former Yugoslavia. But if there was a, a short and sweet or not so sweet mm-hmm. summary that you'd give, uh, what is it that you're facing or what is it that you're fighting or, or resisting with these activities? All six of us, we study IR, international relations, and it's related disciplines, so be that diaspora studies, peace and conflict studies. And what we have noticed, what we had evidence in our experiences, especially in the more junior years, was a certain political pedagogy that was also directed towards us in how we should research our own region, how we should uh, engage with certain theories and not others when we think about our region, how we should navigate our innate and natural bias, because uh, apparently that's, that's mostly a characteristic of researchers that come from certain regions and not of others, how we should be aware of these natural red flags that we simply just don't see because yeah, we're too involved in everything. Also, certain pedagogies, certain warnings, how we can produce unbiased or objective uh, research papers, how several of us have also been praised at international conferences by saying, oh, this is very balanced for a Serb. Or I did not know you could see the potential for engaging with Serbian participants, which was also the case in one of my papers. I'm only talking about the academic part of it. There's also the political economy of academic jobs and academic jobs in global north that renders particular scholars, especially non-EU scholars, at a much precarious and vulnerable situation. That is also one of the aspects we try to work with in the collective together and to uh, support one another with with the legal and the political conundrums that are associated uh, with hiring non-EU citizens in Mm -hmm. EU universities. You're doing that through various publication efforts and, uh, like you said, kind of a peer group uh, support. Any other visual or rather visible ways that uh, people can follow your work and, and see what you're doing, what you're accomplishing? Well, we we are open for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> there so you we go. Sorry. <laughs> this, well, one of you has a podcast. <laughs> Sladjan Alazic has a podcast. Opinion Peace is a now dormant podcast for, quote, undisciplined scholars dealing with various international relations issues. We recently spoke at a discussion uh, at CAS uh, at the University of Odieka. That's the Center for Advanced Studies, Southeast Europe. Uh, we do have a website where we occasionally post an update about what we are doing. But like I said, it's not, it's not a work that is on par with fast science. That's not what we're mm-hmm. interested in. So a lot of the work for the moment yeah. happens is rather insular. We are working slowly, but gradually in, uh, in yeah. our very first book that will be uh, written this year to be published. Yeah. 
uh, much later probably. <laughs> that's uh, okay. that's the state of uh, of things where we are okay. now. Gotcha. Uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. About that plus and the collective's name. The plus to begin with, not all six of us are Yugoslavs to begin with. Um, not all of us identify as Yugoslavs as well. Not all of us would like to be identified as Yugoslavs. We see the whole experiment uh, experience of Yugoslavia as a productive tension to unravel many of the problems, uh, structural oppressions and discriminations that were also constitutive to making what Yugoslavia was. And the plus identifies that part of the federation as well. Because it's called the Slav woman. Many of us are not just women or would not like to be identified simply as such. So the plus is an, is an easy disclaimer of the many, uh, let's say, fixed categories that uh, we might be associated with or assigned to. You've already alluded to my final question about this, uh, and that is the Yugoslav part. There would seem to be a tension between uh, some of you, yourself included, being from a part of the former Yugoslavia that was, first of all, not quite Slav, obviously. Uh, but then, yeah. you know, the identification with that state or with that entity was uh, contentious or, or challenging. So I don't think any of us feels particularly um, attached or identified with, with the word itself. Uh, the, the potential we see in this in this project in in this collective is also unlearning many of the of the knowledges that we have or many of the knowledges that are out there about what Yugoslavia was uh, how how it functioned you have uh, a wonderful book of Yulia Sadelich-Vinikov that looks for instance at the the rights and the politics of Roma in in that part of, of the world and it, it is more of, a, uh, of an invitation or uh, an opportunity for us to unravel some of these foreclosed glories or foreclosed glorious identifications of what that federation was. And also to, in a productive way, to uh, problematize these tensions and bring them to, to the fore. At their website, each member of the Yugoslav Women Plus Collective is represented with a different pepper. Absolutely final question. What does Ayavar have to do with this? Throughout our experience as a collective working together, mm. we understood how certain codes, cultural codes, uh, certain foods, certain games were very similar for all of us, irrespective of whether we grew up in uh, Novi Sad, in Banja Luka or in Jilan. For instance, and one of these elements, one of these common elements, was obviously Ivar. Something that our communities, our neighborhoods, were religiously committed to. We have very vivid and fond memories of uh, playing in neighborhoods that smell entirely of, of pepper and vinegar towards the end of September. And on top of that, Ivar is delicious and we share uh, passion for uh, for the relish as a whole as a collective i mean it's something that people of the balkans have uh, have in common but also it it's like like so many things it's a potential source of conflict because everybody believes that their ivar is the best well also when we use the name yugoslavia it's not that we are appropriating it it's the idea mm -hmm. is not to appropriate it or to uh dismiss it or to 
put it into oblivion. Ivar, Europe, Yugoslavia are concepts or tropes. It's it's what you what you make of it. What we want, what we find in Ivar as a collective is fond memories of our childhood. Uh, let us not forget that there's a certain tint of nostalgia is also there. Most of our childhoods, all of our childhoods of the member of the collective were disrupted either by wars or uh, forced migration, etc. So it's also some sort of, uh, I think, a longing for a sense of an innate home through food. Food is a big part of the cultural code of all the people in the Balkans and the Mediterranean. Right. So it's... Uh, in a lot of ways, food, but also pepper-related dishes are our love language. If somebody mm-hmm. from the region hands you a jar of Ivar, you know, call yourself lucky. Kutia, 
That was PMGA Collective from Skopje with their cover of Jekaterina Velika's Ljudi iz Gradova, Lugie od Gradovi, by their music on Bandcamp. Graphic novels were quite popular in the former Yugoslavia. A graphic artist with an illustrious background is now making a special biography using the form. My name is Rima Sabina Ayuf. I was born in 1984 and uh, I have a very unusual background that I don't think you've had on this show before, which is that my mum is Croatian from Zagreb and my dad is actually from Syria and he moved to Yugoslavia in his 20s to study at university, part of a small wave of Syrian migrants at the time. And we lived in Yugoslavia until I was four or five, and then we moved to Australia, which is where I was raised. I now live in the UK. So you basically are alive or benefited from Yugoslavia's non-alignment policy. Exactly. I'm a living embodiment <laughs> of that. And in fact, part of the reason my dad moved to the country, I think a huge one, was because he admired it as being one of the leaders of the non-aligned movement and sort of progressive principles. And then actually he and my mum met because she and her friend were hitchhiking and he stopped to pick them up, which I think is a great lesson for all of us to always pick up hitchhikers. Now, your background, your your story, there's more to it in that your mother's story particularly has inspired you to express your creativity, uh, so to speak. So tell me about that journey to doing what you're doing and then how did you then incorporate your family or your personal story into your work or into your creative output? I think I can say where this started was obviously with my mum. My mum is a real hero to me. She's led one of those extraordinary, ordinary lives that's just guided by love and adventurousness and open-mindedness, you know, all things that I really aspire to. And when we did move to Australia, it, it was quite a conservative place at the time. And I mean, a lot of places are, it still is. And it really felt to me like growing up, my mum was one of the few dissenting, compassionate voices around me on issues like the Iraq war, our treatment of refugees, the welfare state. And I remember so often seeing her in arguments with her circle of friends, mostly other Croatians, where she would be the lone voice representing this progressive side. And inevitably, at some point in the discussion, her argument would come back to this idea of when I was growing up in Yugoslavia. So when I was growing up in Yugoslavia, I had nothing, but I was given the opportunity to have a decent life. Or when I was growing up in Yugoslavia, we practiced compassion for people who were different from us. And I know other people have had this experience with a parent. It was just so clear to me growing up that Yugoslavia was a huge part of her identity and her story about herself. And that's really where my interest started and my sense of connection to Yugoslavia. I had a sense of connection to Croatia because we always visited there. You know, We speak the language at home, but I had a sense of connection to the history of Yugoslavia. So when I went to university, I studied history and I ended up writing about the country a few times. And that's really where these interests combined. Yeah, one of the times that I wrote about Yugoslavia, it was actually a dissertation on my mother and her relationship to the country. And that sort of evolved into this work that I do now, the graphic work. I think the reason I keep being drawn to tell this story is just because I think it is important. I think it's important that we don't forget this slice of history. Why did your family leave uh, the place? And where did they go? And, and why there? And why not other parts of uh, Australia? We left a couple of years before the war, I should have said. So when we left, we didn't know that the war was going to happen my parents didn't know. Obviously, I didn't know I was five, um, but my parents didn't know. And I think they wanted to go and live somewhere else just as economic migrants. Yeah, my dad, it suited his career. 
But they, particularly my mum, always assumed that they would go back. And then it was only really once the war broke out that they were like, well, we live here now. And the place where they lived was Perth, which is actually one of the most isolated cities in the world, along with Reykjavik in Iceland. It is so far away from any other city. So a huge culture shock when you're coming from Europe where everything is so connected. And what were your parents' professions? My mum used to be a teacher and my dad used to be an engineer. Your description of the project is that it's basically the story of your mother paralleled with the story of uh, Yugoslavia. Yugo is a graphic biography of my mother that contains the history of Yugoslavia as a nation. Uh, my mum was born in 1944, so just as the Socialist Federal Republic was coming together, she was a child of partisans, and her life kind of mirrors the progress of the nation and contains personal experience of most of its key political programs. So she starts out kind of skinny and sickly, and then after some key interventions, she starts to thrive. You know, she loves school, she loves the pioneers, she loves spending time at the hospital with her mum, who's a nurse, and she loves looking after her little brother. And then in her adolescence, there's a big disruption that comes, a personal event that kind of changes how she sees the role of the state in her life. So in Yugo, I tell this story largely from her perspective, but I also bring in a second contemporary narrative, which is me exploring how Yugoslavia is remembered and the sort of opposing forces of political forgetting and Yugo nostalgia that impact that telling. Pages from an earlier version of the work are available at AU's website. I did do this earlier version of Yugo as a little zine. It was like the first few pages as a little zine. And that won a prize here in the UK called the Ladies Do Comics Prize, which basically recognizes graphic novel works in progress because graphic novels take such a long time to do. Sometimes you kind of just need a pat on the back halfway through. And I'm now reworking that into what will be the graphic novel of Yugo. So the pages that are currently on my website are not reflective of what I'm making now, but people who are interested can follow my Instagram is probably the best way to catch snippets of the new work in progress. I haven't started pitching to publishers yet, but that is my goal. And what I do know is that there is a lot of interest in this topic, not just among former Yugoslavs. There's a lot of non-Yugoslav people here in the UK, particularly in my generation, who I find are really interested in it. And I think it's mainly because they're like, why haven't I heard of this? But also partly I think it's because we live in a time of what Mark Fisher once described as capitalist realism, when it is apparently easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. And Yugoslavia is one of those examples that not only are other systems possible, but that there was a time quite recently when people felt like they were part of building a different world. And those are stories we need to tell to know that it's possible again. And I think that's where this interest comes from. Ave's best case scenario is the end of 2024. Graphic novels are hard, or not hard work, but long work. It's one of the cruel ironies that... Um, it takes like 30 seconds to read a page of a graphic novel and it'll take the artist, you know, possibly two days to produce it. Are there other similar projects out there that you can think of uh, that you may have been inspired by or that you can point people to while we wait for your uh, masterpiece to come out? Yes. So I'm inspired by a lot of the sort of the great works in the medium. A lot of the great works in graphic novels actually are biographies and autobiographies and memoirs. Mouse, by Art Spiegelman, Persepolis, Fun Home. And I think that's because 
the graphic novel format is really good for personal storytelling. Um, you get a strong sense of personality from the creator's illustrations. You very quickly relate and empathize with the protagonist of the story, in part because of the comic style. The more simplified a drawing of a face is, the easier we project ourselves onto it. So it makes it great for immersing the reader and your subjective view of the world. And actually, there's another facet to graphic novels that I think makes them particularly good for telling the story of Yugoslavia in particular, which is that so if you have a story where there is a tension or inconsistency or even conflict over the facts or feelings around a narrative, you can kind of handle that within a graphic novel text. You have basically because the reader is reading two sources of information simultaneously, the words and the images, usually the words and the images convey aspects of the same message, but sometimes they can be quite different. So as the creator, you can really play with that, which is something that I love and it makes it really good for history writing as well so in mouse you know you can have these detailed uh, stories from the writer's father and normally in historical writing it's difficult to foreground the subjectivity of um, oral history but in a graphic novel like he can just have his father on his exercise bike in the corner of every page so while you are reading this account you're always aware that it's subjective you're always aware of who's telling it and there are all kinds of lessons like that that I draw from the great graphic novels of the past. Some of your panels I saw feature the architecture of the former Yugoslavia or in mm. the former Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia as a country branded or presented itself as an attractive destination, as a place where modern architecture is the norm, et cetera, et cetera. Also in a non-aligned sense, uh, but just generally as, as the other uh, or different socialist country. And so the visual uh, aspect of Yugoslavia, and of course, let's not forget Tito to really like to dress up and look good. Yes. <laughs> and so the visual aspect of, uh, of that former country uh, was very important. And so in the graphic novel, the visual aspect of it is very important and not something necessarily you can capture in words. You know, the visual the visual is uh, more important. No, exactly. You're completely right. It's such a strength of the medium. And it's something that was really missing for me in all the times that I was writing essays about Yugoslavia. And when it dawned on me to do this graphic novel, it was really like <laughs> a bit of a revelation in that I was like, oh, this this story is actually best suited to the graphic novel format. And I hadn't been even drawing at the time for years. I took up the practice again in order to tell this story because I knew there were so many things that I couldn't convey in words when I was writing the essays. And I was like, now I can convey them through images and visual metaphor. Next on Remembering Yugoslavia. I'm really fond of Belgrade, but especially of New Belgrade because all of my childhood memories, stuff like that, are from here. So that's the, my favorite part of the city. Here, every building is like community for itself, and then every block is community for itself. Inspired by Yugoslavia, I will continue with a second installment. We'll make drawings, a video game, and a new database. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening. Find additional information and a transcript of this episode at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petric, additional music courtesy of Aaron Tinjem and the Tangents, and PMG Collective. Buy their music. The track by Petar Alargic licensed under Creative Commons. I am Petar Korchniak. Ciao.